and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome back, Soberholics. I'm in studio with Jason, and Jason, it is finally a little bit of fall weather here. It finally got here, man. <laughs> I didn't think it was ever going to come, but man, it's been great. Like, I rode with the windows down today. I wasn't like all humid and sweating in October, because that's been happening. Hot-tober. Pers- Did you say hot-tober? Hot-tober, yeah. Sweat-timber, hot-tober. Oh, that is so bad. That is horrible. Facebook taught it to me. <laughs> That's the best thing you can come up with on Facebook, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm, I hear you. Well, you know, there's some cool stuff that we're going to talk about today. I think it's cool anyway. And for some, it's kind of um, beneficial, especially those who are really new into recovery. And I don't know if it works for all recovery because, you know, we talk about a lot of different addictions, whether it be food addiction or sex addiction, um, whether it's, you know, people working through grief. You know, we talk about a lot of different things on the show. Uh, I know that I can relate this to drug and alcohol addiction, certainly. So I guess as we dive off into the subject today, it would be, you know, relevant to to maybe anyone. Would you say it would be? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on just how how I think the topic today depends on what kind of consequences you suffered in your addiction. The 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 worse the consequences you suffered in addiction, then the more this episode probably applies to you which brings us to the topic of really we're going to be talking about balance and recoveries or balance and relationship in recovery right probably the better way of saying that and um and a few weeks back we had your wife dakota on and yeah she talked about what it was like to be married to an addict which is you that's me yeah, that, that is actually you and but she never experienced your craziness in your addiction right she is a, she she knows what it's like to be with a Recovering addict. I was going to say sane, but that would have been a lie. But uh, somewhat better sane. (laughs) I like using those buttons. They just drag on for a long time. You can stop it. Oh, there we go. Right there in the middle of it. So um, what I kind of thought we could talk about to start with is if you're in recovery, you, you've gotten a little better, you know, maybe a, a month or two of recovery and things are starting to get better physically, maybe mentally, maybe spiritually, whatever you're going through. And now you want to begin to date. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those pitfalls. And if you choose to do it, maybe some of the things that you could look for uh, from our own personal experiences and some that... Um, maybe we've seen other people fall into those those traps. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, how soon is it? Um, well, how soon should we start dating after we begin this road in recovery? Wow. Well, the the general rule of thumb that I always heard in all the meetings was wait a year to make any big decisions like that. That was just the one I always heard. And my first time through um, when I was in 12-step meetings and everything, I actually did. And I remember getting to a year and my sponsor being like, are you going to date or anything? Or 
And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I could. But um, but yeah, that's the general rule that I've always heard is is if you're, you know, single when you enter recovery, then you should wait a year. There's a rule I've heard too, and it's simply that the first year you should try to keep a plant alive. If you can keep your plant alive, then the second year, see if you can keep a dog alive. And if you can keep that dog alive, maybe you can keep a relationship alive in that third year. I mean, two years is even better than one year. You know, you have more time to work on yourself. You have more time, you know, to build up things that you can actually offer somebody. I I know whenever I've entered recovery and whenever I've begun the process of recovery um, at different times in my life, I didn't have anything to actually offer anybody. Uh, I was bankrupt financially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in every way, I had nothing, and I didn't have anything to offer anybody. So I think the longer you wait, you know, the more stable you're going to be in all those areas of your life. And then when you're more stable in those areas in life, then you're going to be able to attract somebody who's also probably stable in those areas, you know? So, I mean, it's gonna, it's only going to help you. This is one of the things I've noticed a lot in recovery, though, is um, we get a little better, and whether it be all those things I mentioned earlier, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and rather than kind of continue to work inwardly on ourselves, it's easier to kind of bring someone else in the mix and start working on them. And two, I've learned that it's... It's better to, to be a se- separated from someone because what happens is it gives you time to be okay with you. And right. that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've seen that was beneficial to people is learn how to live in your own skin before you bring someone else in the mix. Right, because if you can't love yourself, then how are you going to love somebody else? Um, I know one exercise that I was suggested to me by a sponsor before in recovery was looking in the mirror and telling yourself, I love you, I like you, I respect you. And earlier on, I mean, it, it took a long time to be able to to say all those things, especially I, res- I respect you. Uh, respecting myself was kind of way, way later down the road. But, I mean, it, it makes sense to, to be able to reach that point before you could even enter in a, a healthy relationship. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking, and it had nothing to do with the show today. I was just randomly looking at Facebook, your place where you get all your funny jokes. And um, we were, well, it wasn't we, it was me. I was looking through different things, and I was noticing that a lot of pictures, especially women, there's they don't have a lot of pictures of themselves on there. And I'm not talking about just the selfies, just in general. There was one particular person I was trying to see if it was a person I knew from childhood. I'm not Facebook stalking everybody, but mm, I was trying to see sure. <laughs> I was trying to see if this was who this person was, but she had no pictures of herself and led me to think this is common. I've seen this before yeah. that there's no picture of the woman, her husband, her kids, kids. her dogs, yeah. all that. And I thought that kind of through, and a lot of times you will see people who may take a selfie of themselves, but because they're so ashamed of their body image, they never post pictures of themselves right there. And it goes to what you're talking about, is if you can't be okay with you, if you can't love you, how can you expect someone else to love you? Because you really feel unlovable. Right. 
And so I think that that's kind of maybe some of the premise of the whole idea of, of waiting a year or two years um, is just learning to be okay with you before you ask someone else to come in and be okay with you. Yeah, and I mean, if you start dating somebody at 11 and a half months instead of 12 months, I mean, there's not going to be a big difference there. Right. It's not, this isn't some kind of legalistic, you know, that this is the right time and this is the wrong time. I mean, I think I think a lot of it depends on your recovery. Yeah, and where you are, and two, a great time for a sponsor to, to be involved in your recovery to say, yes. you know, talk to them about it because yes. they're going to see things about you that you're not going to see yourself. And if your sponsor says go for it, then maybe it's time to start, you know, jumping into those waters. If they say no, maybe not. My sponsor told me no, and um, <laughs> I didn't listen to and my you didn't sponsor. Listen. Hmm. Didn't listen to my sponsor. Okay, yeah, but um, so that yeah. happens sometimes. It happened a lot with me, you know, but uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, For me, it turned out good. And I'll talk about that in a little while later. But, you know, that's it's wise to to at least get some other advice. And so I think that probably the best way to address some of this is if you choose to get into a relationship with someone, then there's probably some practical advice that I think that would be beneficial for anyone. And, And the first thing is just, you know, kind of take it slow. You don't yes. want to jump overboard. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Christian principles here, but regardless if, if you're a Christ follower or not, probably jumping straight off into a relationship and having sex will really complicate it, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, there's so many ways that that can go wrong. You know, you could, you know, you don't want to be expecting a child when you're a few months sober. You know, you've got so many different things. And I mean, you don't, uh, obviously, we believe that sex outside of marriage is 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 a sin and it's wrong. Um, it's just not the way sex was designed by God. Um, and you can, we could sit here for another, we could do a whole show on that uh, in and of itself to talk about how the consequences of sex outside of marriage, you know, the way, you know, that both me and you have experienced in our own lives in the past. Yeah. I'm definitely not on a pedestal talking to someone here. I've I've, I've done these the wrong way. Yes. And, and, and there's, there's numerous ones, but you know, either, either way, if you, even if you're not a follower of Christ, it's still going to work out good for you if you don't, because the principles that are, are laid out in the Bible will help you whether you're a believer or not. That's just because God's truth exists in the world around us. Um, it's it's the same way that I've actually I've had you know Christian friends ask me how can somebody work the twelve steps and stay sober if they're not a, a Christ follower or a believer in Jesus Christ. And I said, well, the 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 twelve steps are biblical principles, mm-hmm. and if you exercise them good things are, are going to probably happen for you. Right. You know, you're, you're going to have good results from them. And so I, I kind of think it's the same way. You know, if you you can't be in recovery and be having sex all all, all over town, mm-hmm. you can't, you, I, I don't think, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I don't, I, I don't think it's a, a good way to have your side of the street clean. You know, as you know, we talk about in recovery, um, cleaning house, you know, and and keeping your resentments down. Well, if you're sleeping with half the town, 
you're you're probably not you're probably going to have resentments and people are probably going to have resentments against you you reckon half the town i thought there's probably a lot of resentments <laughs> going around because <laughs> i mean i I've, I've seen a lot in in in, in the meeting culture where there's just hookups going on all the time and then one girl oh, will, 13 stepping you know, huh? yeah it's called that's officially called 13 stepping mm-hmm. and when that takes place you know so and so gets mad at so and so and then you have a whole drama um thing going on and it's just not good for anybody's recovery yeah, even if it's outside the recovery meeting say you find someone outside of your support group like like you did um if you if you add sex into it, the, the emotions that come with having intercourse, then it gets difficult. And there seems to be this this idea or or this feeling, this emotion. I don't know how to really explain that, but why is it that as addicts, whether you're a sex addict or drug addict, there's always the need to have more. And so it's like we've got to be okay just to be friends to go to a movie um like with a kiss rather than just jumping from hey what's your name let's have sex yeah you know because that's a lot of how i live my life and i know everybody who's listening to this is not going to relate to that but that's that was i never knew how to do moderation on anything right and so it was always all the way to the extreme and i think that even with me realizing by taking things slow as the original point was then i can learn how to develop a relationship that doesn't revolve around sex right because that's really as i've been married i've learned that sex is a is not what the relationship is based on in the first place yeah and i think the take it slow approach definitely applies to a, a christian who's entering recovery because i've seen um around faith-based recovery cultures where they're they're trying to not have sex before marriage they'll meet they'll want to have sex and they'll just get married real quick right. they're like married and they've known each other for like three months right have you seen that oh i've seen it and many I'm, times and i'm just like well that what that's not necessarily the answer either right. i mean i see that you're trying to do it the right way but you've known the person for three months and you're married mm-hmm. so you know was that sufficient enough time to get to know them and to see God's will in it and to know that this is the right way to go. So you're saying you, it's not good to marry just to get a sex pass? No, it is not. Okay. <laughs> I think that applies to everybody. I, I so. believe you're right with yeah. that. You know, and I'm no certainly no marriage counselor and it could tell you exactly when to get married, but um, bottom line is, you know, just take it slow. Take it slow. And, you know, another thing that's important is that, you know, to put your recovery first and let them put their recovery first. So, with me and my wife, as I mentioned earlier, we did not listen to my sponsor, and her sponsor did not tell her the same thing that my sponsor said, which you, you'll hear a lot in recovery because there's no manual on sponsorship. But um, what her sponsor told her was that you need to rec- focus on your recovery, and he needs to focus on his because both of us met in a 12-step meeting. And the biggest advice we were given by her and some other people within those walls was don't be each other's sponsor. Mm. And so when we walked into that, we said, look, we will, let's pursue this relationship just months sober now. We were, we were as green as green came to recovery, but you're going to do your sponsor and I'm going to do my sponsor and we're not going to bring our problems to one another. You can't borrow each other's recovery. Exactly. You have to have your own recovery. And it's worked well for us. It, yeah. it really has. We've been married 13 years now and I have no regrets in any of that. How long have y'all been together? 
Well, we've been together 15. Wow. And been married 13. I got married two years after I got sober with her. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I feel like I'm a hypocrite talking about a lot of this. You know, don't do what you know, do do differently than I did. But it's kind of the same thing as I tell my kids, you know. Um, do as I say, not well, as I, I do. Don't, you know, I just as far as like drugs, <laughs> you know, yes, I've tried a lot of different things, but that don't mean you should go do it. Learn from my experiences, yeah. you know, because if I did look around the rooms, because this was the one thing that scared me to death with our recovery. I was at a, a little rehab around here. Well, it was a big rehab around here called Bradford. And they told me inside that room, there happened to be about 40 of us in that meeting. And they said one out of 36 people were going to make it. So if you looked around the room, essentially one person out of all of us was going to stay sober. And I told my my wife, you know, my girlfriend at the time, that then that means our odds of staying sober together is just it's not going to happen. There's no way that this could happen in this work. Yeah. And I told her we, our anniversary was uh, just a few months back. And I literally told her this. She said, wow, thanks. This is great. But I, when we got married, I, I told her I, I really just didn't think our marriage would last this long. <laughs> that's not a charming thing to say. Uh, that's a, yeah. Wow. <laughs> 13 years, honey. Um, that's how y'all made it, it that long, that she can put up with stuff like that. I know. But, you know I, I'm not a charmer, but uh, I, I have loved her for everything. But it's because we've put our recoveries first. Yeah. She's done her recovery. I've done my recovery recovery now we've we have had this that there's been times i ain't wanted to work on my recovery Mm -hmm. and she's like you better get up and do something yeah and i've done the same for her and those things have helped right but essentially she had to go to her meetings and i had to go mine she went to her sponsor i went to mine yeah and so you're you are one of the few people that i know that met in recovery and are both you know recovering um alcoholics addicts or whatever that actually made it mm-hmm. most of the time they don't make it right i don't know i i'm there was be no way for me to count how many of them that i don't that i see don't make it because inevitably if one relapses most of the time the other one relapses along with them um and so i'm not, now i'm not saying you shouldn't date somebody in recovery but I'm just saying, I think that's that's something a good, you know, to have in mind, you know. And then there comes that awkwardness of, well, we've split up, and neither one of us relapsed. We just split up, and we've got to go to the same meeting together, right? And then she's going to be dating somebody else, probably one of my friends, and you know, this inside the group, yeah. And, and then there's all this weirdness. So you go, well, I'll just quit going to this meeting. Well, then you've got to learn how to get comfortable in a new meeting, and so. In your mind, you just go, well, I'm good. I'm just not going to go to meetings no more. Yeah, which is another good reason to take things slow right. and to to choose the person that you want to date. I mean, choose that person with care. You know, don't just go, oh, they'll, they'll do. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, you, you know, if you're trying, if you're truly trying to live a different life in recovery, well, then you need to do all aspects of your life differently. Like at your job, if you were cheating the, the clock at your at your job and you were cheating your company out of money, well, then when you get in recovery, you, you should probably look at that and not do that anymore. Right. So you want to you want to live the recovery principles in every area. 
How about this one? Dakota brought this up when when I interviewed her or inter- interviewed both of you is about learning about addiction. Like mm-hmm. she would go to recovery meetings with you, right? Just to learn about what was going on with you. She didn't struggle with addiction. She didn't understand a whole lot about it, and so she wanted to know, you know, what you were going through. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, have, have you seen that be beneficial? Oh yeah, I mean it. I mean, from the beginning, she started going to meetings with me. She was like, I just want to go just to see. I want to hear about it. I want to learn about it, which was a was a great sign to me that like, hey, she might be a keeper here, you know, if because I've never had anybody even remotely be interested in something like that. And uh, turns out she was a keeper. Mm-hmm. And but anyway, she would learn about it. And then I remember you know, whenever there was going to be like a wedding that we we're going to with an open bar, you know, because she had learned about addiction, she knew to ask me questions. Hey, is this going to bother you that we're going to this wedding with an open bar? Mm-hmm. You know, she she knows, you know, what situations could be potentially dangerous to me. And so it was very, very beneficial and still is very beneficial that she took the time to learn about recovery. I mean, she knows. I mean, I can name a step and she'll know what that step is. She knows all the 12 steps. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been really and I all the code language of recovery, all the recovery jargon that, that we all talk like she knows most of it. Right. And so, you know, I can I can talk to her like somebody in recovery and she knows what I'm talking about. She she hasn't gone through it, but she at least can understand what I'm talking about, which has been great. And that's cool because I've always told people, even though, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, you should wait you don't jump straight into a relationship. But one of the benefits I've seen with me and my wife is since we're both in recovery, we both live by those same principles, mm. those same 12 steps. Yeah. And I've always asked people who, like you and your wife, how y'all make it work because we live by that same playbook. You know, right. like if if you get mad at me, then we understand what it means to make amends and not to hold resentments against one another. That I mean, we do it perfectly, but we, we play by the same rules. And if, if one spouse isn't in recovery, I could see where maybe that gets cloudy. And especially if you're not a Christian, you know, it could get much mm-hmm. more um, confusing there. So I think by learning that, to learning these, these principles, some of those things that would be beneficial for you as the spouse of someone maybe in addiction is to to go learn about what they're going through. Yes. Uh, you know, even like if 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 your spouse is struggling with, with weight loss, don't just leave them out there to figure it on their own. Be, get involved with them. You right. Know, let their recovery – you can't carry them in recovery, but you can learn about it. Right. Yeah. So then there comes this other part of this um, of like when we talk about someone in addiction – you may say this is right or wrong, but I've, I I believe this is true in a general sense that where you find an addict, you oftentimes find a codependent. Oh, yeah. That someone has kind of just not allowed that person to hit a bottom. I'm not blaming that person, but, you know, if you're the type of person that finds yourself being um, heavily relied on by your spouse, like... Um, if you're going, if you find yourself as a person who likes to rescue people, there's a good chance you're, um, you could be a, a codependent. 
Yeah, there's a behind most addicts and alcoholics. There's there's an enabler, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's allowing that's you know saving the person every time they hit any kind of big consequences or, or face any kind of repercussions from their addiction. And um, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's something. You know, maybe not for somebody who's starting a relationship after being in recovery. Um, hopefully, you'll be aware of that. But, you know, I've seen a lot in recovery where there's a codependent person that comes into recovery, and then there's somebody who's not. And then when they're in recovery, they get they get together, and then the codependent person just goes, just falls right back into being codependent and will enable that person. Um, maybe not enable them with their addiction to whatever they were addicted to but in a bunch of other ways it's kind of like the whole you know i'm gonna save them you know they need saving uh, they need help and you, you see it a lot in, in recovery where you know you'll you'll have a guy and who's a little further along in recovery and, and a and a, a woman will come in you know and he's got a good job and a place to stay and then all of a sudden you know the the lady is staying with him, right? And he's kind of he kind of quote unquote saving her. Or you'll see it the other way around. With, you know, so well, I see the, I see this. We talk about that that cycle of insanity, doing the thing same things over and over, expecting a different result. I see this so many times. Like maybe for whatever reason there was a divorce and because of an addiction, and we'll just say that the the husband was was the alcoholic or whatever and left the sex addict and left and got divorced the the wife got fed up and left, yeah, okay, well, then you'll find that wife again married to the exact same type of person, yes, you know leaves an alcoholic and goes to another alcoholic right. your luck's not that bad that right. you just find alcoholics on every corner it's because you go th- and go in thinking you can fix them right what you're talking about, yeah, and that's what I mean about being that rescuer of well, you know I, I need to go in and, and save him you know, he's a good guy, and I can make it better well I, I think that's unhealthy I mean. I believe that the codependent, the enabler, needs to work on themselves yes. rather rather than the other person. And that's probably where the biggest problem – there's two different issues going on. There. Right. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the, the codependent person seeking, you know, their own recovery, it would be, you know, immensely beneficial. We have a whole um, – podcast episode on codependency yeah i've even heard it called um relationship addiction oh yeah is one way to say that because you just go from one relationship to another trying to fix them and it's not always with uh, like a significant other it could be your people in your work workplace you're trying to make all them happy Mm -hmm. and fixed and their actions are about what's going you feel responsible for someone else's actions yeah and so you got to fix it to, to make everything and everybody happy and I believe there's probably more people that struggle with that than than know they struggle with. Oh that. yeah, because you that's because you don't want to look at yourself, All right? And so I guess you know as you look at an addiction and, and go into that, make sure that you're both healthy. And one way that you do that is with some self care. Is even if 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 like with me and my wife. I can still tell her, you know, like, you ain't been to a meeting in a while. If she starts not doing something or whatever, um, and 
I can tell her different things without trying to be her sponsor. But ultimately, I've got to I've got to take care of me. And that sounds real selfish. But if I'm not taking care of me, I ain't good to nobody. Right. And so that that goes into even our spiritual disciplines. We talk a lot. Right. About, right. Yeah. And I mean, I think Jesus modeled it better than anybody. He always, you know, he would preach to a large crowd. And then what would he do the next morning? He would get away alone uh, to spend time with the father. And by walking in the spirit so closely in the spirit, he was able to be most effective in in his ministry. And I think it's the same for us. You know, if we're practicing those spiritual disciplines and we're taking time to work on ourselves, then we're going to be of maximum benefit to those around us. So I wanted to kind of finish up this with with one big question that I don't know that we'll get the answer to, but um, if you find yourself um, married to someone who is an addict and they continue to relapse time and time and time again and you're wanting better for them, but it just doesn't seem like they're going to change, is it okay to divorce them? Man, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen this played out in every imaginable way possible. Not, of course, not for me, but I've just over the years I've seen where you know the 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 spouse who was not the addict, you know, was with them, you know, through relapse after relapse after relapse, you know, fifteen, twenty relapses, still trying to to work with them, and then eventually just could not do it anymore and ended up getting a divorce. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, that's understandable. I I understand that. But, I mean, are we asking if if it's wrong or right to do that? I guess that's the question. You know, is it okay? Is it it okay for a divorce? Because... You know, I, I talk about in a minute ago. I say, you know, I'm I'm no marriage counselor, but yet I, I've counseled many couples uh, just through the years, being, you know, as a pastor and as a recovery pastor, just and, and even friends. We've just sat down and talked about these things. And the advice I've always given people is because I am a Christian and I believe in in what we read through God's word, that there's very few exceptions of being of getting a divorce. And this is one of those for better or for worse deals. Right. For me. Sickness and health thing. Yeah. And I mean, you don't bank on them being an alcoholic, but you also don't bank on someone having cancer. And so you don't just leave them because they get sick. Now, does that make it easy? No, it doesn't. But I have told people, and I would tell anyone this, maybe it's time to separate for a while. Yeah. Not divorce, but yeah. separate. Right. Until someone can work on themselves. And you know, like if your spouse is struggling with addiction, maybe it's time to separate for a while. Let him or her work on themselves and their recovery. Take your kids out of that toxic environment and Y'all work on y'all and and then work on them. It's almost like we're talking about earlier, putting each other's recovery first. You've got to get healthy. You need to be healthy for your kids, too. And that may be removing dad out of the picture. Yeah. Now, I think that it would be best to try to determine some guidelines, not just walk out and say, I'm leaving, we're separated, and, and not really have a goal to that. Right. But while your spouse is not in the middle of a relapse, have that conversation and say, you know, this is what we're going to have to do as a family if this is going to work. Right. And then institute some marriage counseling in with that and, and try to begin resolving those things. 
Now, there's, I'm sure there's people that's heard that, that's going to hear this and go, well, we've done all of those things. And I just, me personally, I can't say that there is a time to divorce someone because they just struggle with alcoholism or whatever their struggle is. I've not been in the midst of that either. Right. You know? yeah. So it's easy for me to give advice that I've not lived through, but I can't say otherwise right now. Yeah. I mean, I, God is obviously a fan of the the Institute of Marriage. And so it's not something you know, that anybody should take lightly. Um, but especially the Christian, it's not something that should be taken lightly. I mean, and Dakota actually, before we got married, we actually talked about this exact scenario. What would she do if I relapsed? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of scary to talk about, but, you know, we basically came to an agreement that, you know, she would not leave me, obviously, mm-hmm. unless, you know, there was maybe infidelity or whatever involved in my relapse. Then, and then that would be a, a different issue um, to deal with. But, you know, we, we, we talked about that. And, um, you know, um, thankfully, I have not had a relapse since we've, since we've been married. And, and I, God willing, I won't have a, a relapse if I continue to do the things that have uh, kept me sober this long. But, yeah, it's, it's a tough issue. And, um, I mean, I don't. It's one of those ones where I'm like, you know, I've, I've seen several different circumstances where, you know, the, the spouse hung in there for decades and then eventually just, you know, because of abuse, you know, physical abuse, you know, they decided to to divorce or whatever. And I'm 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 not I can't say whether that's wrong or right, because that's not really up to me anyway, as far as judging somebody else's exact circumstances because they're all different Mm -hmm. well i think this is the reason that like what we began this with is you want to take things slow and and talk about these things if you do make a decision to date while you're in recovery especially if you're dating someone else in recovery those are questions you really need to talk about you know um and if you're dating someone that maybe you're not in a recovery because you're not struggling with the addiction they are, and you know that they've struggled with addiction in the past, like Dakota knew with you, you better have that conversation. Yeah. Um, because relapse is a real thing that happens when you start talking about addiction because it's easy to go back to what's normal to an, to an addict. Yeah. And so what will you do if that comes up, if that happens? Just real legitimate questions to have. And also, just take it slow. Give it some time and see what one another does and and have time to, to, to develop some trust through all of that. Yes. Those are the, the tips that I believe that are important on balancing a relationship and recovery. And I, I know that there's probably many more that we could talk about. And that's not a surefire fix to make sure you've got the match made in heaven. But I do believe that those are the small, well, not really small, but the the the, miles, biggest. Yeah, the, the biggest things you could kind of look at. Yeah, because no, and, and, and when you're early on in recovery, this is the last thing that you want to hear <laughs> to wait and not date. But uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's worked out so much better. All the relationships I've seen that where they actually spent some time to really work on themselves first. So keep the plan alive, get you a dog, and then check in with your sponsor. 
That's it. As long as the dog stays alive. Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's a given. All right, man. That's the end of another one. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out of here. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.